This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. We've kind of seen a boomerang in consumer spending from shutdowns in the pandemic and then stimulus checks put money back in people's pockets and people were going out and spending. Well, all of that savings that got built up over that period has now started to be depleted. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're going to do three things. First, we'll be answering the question a lot of you have been thinking about lately. Are we in a recession or not? Second... We're back with our mortgage-free family segment. This quarter, we're going to be featuring Chris Luger from Minnesota. He's going to share how he became mortgage-free after a divorce, invested his money, and now he's on the path to becoming a millionaire. And last but not least, my son Calvin's going to be joining me for another good word. I had to drive over to his school and record with him because we didn't have time during this crazy soccer year that we've been having, this soccer season. Anyway, with all the rough news out there, Calvin and I like to share some good news. You know, it doesn't always have to be doom and gloom. There's good stuff going on. All right, let's jump into today's show. Lately, it seems to be all the buzz on social media, the financial news, and even discussions at my kids' soccer practices. Are we in a recession or not? Big questions like this are always better with really smart friends, so I thought I'd invite my friend Megan Rebuse on the show again today. Megan, also known as the Family Finance Mom, is the host of the popular Finance Explained podcast. Megan is a former financial analyst, a mom of three, and quickly becoming one of my favorite repeat guests. Welcome back to the show, Megan. Thanks so much for having me, Andy. Absolutely. It's good to see you again. And I love tackling these big questions that everybody is trying to answer themselves with you. So Megan, correct me if I'm wrong. I thought the traditional definition of a recession was two consecutive quarters of negative gross domestic product. Am I wrong? You're not wrong, Andy. Any of us who took a high school economics course, we were taught that that is still historically you know, indicative of a recession. And I think that it's not just a historical thing. I mean, generally speaking, a recession is a slowdown or a decrease from one period to the next in economic activity. And we measure economic activity with GDP. So if you have two quarters in a row of negative or declining GDP, that would be consistent with what we think of as a recession, which is a slowdown in economic activity. So where did all this kind of, you know, are we, are we not? We had two negative quarters of GDP growth, but people are saying we might not be in a recession. Where is that all coming from? Not to get super political, but some of it is, I think, political spin. We had the White House administration and many of The other parties, like the Treasury Secretary, kind of come out and say, well, the definition of recession is more involved than that. To be super specific, there is an agency in the United States known as the National Bureau of Economic Research. You can check them out at nber.org. They are the official 
economic cycle dating organization in the U.S. So they are the ones who review all the economic data that is out there and they'll come out and say, hey, peak economic activity was this date. We are officially in a recession. And then they will come out at some point in the future and also say the opposite, that the trough was hit and now the economy is in recovery. So basically, you have people pointing and saying, well, hey, NBER hasn't declared it yet. What I will tell you is that NBER typically takes anywhere from four to 12 months after a recession has begun to officially declare it. So that is kind of from my personal kind of informed, educated opinion, both from, you know, having a degree in finance and business economics, having lived through a few cycles as a financial professional, everything that I see out there right now would lead me to believe that we are currently in a recession. Math doesn't lie, right? They're numbers and they say what the truth is. And now I think that maybe there's folks out there and even me, maybe it doesn't feel like a recession yet. You know, it doesn't feel as bad as the recessions that maybe you and I have been through. Is it different right now than some recessions we've seen in the past? Sure. So I guess a couple of things, you know, to kind of reinforce why I feel like we likely already are. There's a handful of things that from all intensive purposes, if you look historically, when these things happen, we are in a recession. And then there's one big thing that is why many people are saying, well, maybe not quite yet. So the three big things in my mind that tell us we are definitely in a recession right now, one, I already talked about, you know, we've actually now had reported two consecutive quarters of negative real GDP growth, which as you started this episode, that historically has been the traditional definition of a recession. So that's one. The second thing is the stock market is in a bear market. It's down over 20% and has been now for a couple weeks. Historically speaking, that is generally a good indication of a recessionary environment. Now, Every time the stock market has a 20% decline, we haven't always been in a in, ended up having a recession. However, every recession has had almost a 20% stock market decline or pretty close to it. So, you know, it's sort of one of those all squares or rectangles, but not all rectangles or squares situations. <laughs> but generally speaking, the stock market is a leading indicator for the real economy. So what do I mean by that? Typically, the stock market is going to have its bottom about 6 to 12 months before the real economy or what GDP says the economy is doing. So that's kind of the other indicator that if we're not in one, we may be in one soon. And then the third thing that I've been paying close attention to is consumer spending data because, and I think we've talked about this here before, our U.S. economy is heavily consumer-driven. So what you and I, thats when I say consumers, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about all the people listening out there, what we go out and spend. So what we're spending on groceries, what we're spending on you know, clothes for our kids, what we're spending to put gas in our cars, what we're spending to you know, buy replacement goods, if you need a new car, all of those things add up to consumer spending. And what we, you know, we've kind of seen a boomerang in consumer spending from shutdowns in the pandemic and then stimulus checks put money back in people's pockets and people were going out and spending. Well, all of that savings that got built up over that period has now 
started to be depleted. Savings rates are back to near record low levels. And consumer spending on a real basis, so if we strip out the impact of inflation, is basically just barely positive. And real incomes, so what you and I are bringing in as disposable income every month that helps fuel that spending, has been negative now for several months. And so that is a mismatch that is not sustainable, right? Like we can't continue to outspend or spend more than we're bringing in on a consistent basis. So at some point, something's got to give, right? And if we as consumers, and I think this is something that's really important because you brought up, you know, maybe you don't feel like you're in a recession. The way that we as consumers feel about the economy is just as important as the data itself. And why is that? Well, going back to consumers make up to consumer spending makes up two thirds of the economy. If you don't feel good about where the economy is headed, if you're worried about your job or a potential job loss, if you're worried that your income, you know, next month may not be what it was this month, how is that going to impact your spending behavior? And if you pull back on spending, that pulls back on the economy as a whole, and it sort of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. That is how I'm feeling lately based on all the news and all the conversations. I feel like I am paying attention to my emergency fund, my long-term money in the bank a lot more than I have in the past. Now, let's talk about we're in a recession. We're maybe going to get into a worse one. What are some smart financial moves that people can make during a recession? So one of the things that I tell people first and foremost is start, even if you, you know, feel good about your job, it can always be helpful to have what I call a bare bones budget prepared. Even if you don't put it in place, it's basically giving yourself an action plan when and if the worst happens, when and if your company institutes layoffs and you're on that list. You can go home and immediately like, these are the bills I'm going to eliminate. These are the action steps I'm going to take in order to make whatever savings I have last for as long as possible until, you know, I can collect unemployment until I can find a new job. And so that is something you can do right now. And the other thing is you can implement it if you want in order to kind of ratchet up your savings, beef up your emergency fund. And the question I always get after this one is, well, how much should my emergency fund be? What I tend to tell people, especially heading into this uncertain economic environment, is make sure you understand the industry that you work in. Is it highly cyclical? Meaning, is it very much impacted by the ups and downs of the economy? Do you work in an industry where they are quick to cut jobs in an economic downturn? If that's the case, you want to err on the higher end of this range. And I tend to tell people kind of three to six months of living expenses. So once you've made that bare bones budget, what does that monthly expense number look like for you? Multiply that by three to six. And that's kind of what your emergency fund target should be. And if you work in an environment where your job is potentially more at risk, you would definitely want to err towards the six-month side more so than the three-month side. But that, I think, is the most important thing that anybody can do. Because the reality is, is that recessions are 
a very real part of the economic cycle. The good news is they're also the most short-lived part of the economic cycle historically. And if we look back, you know, over 100 plus years, the economy has recovered from every recession and gone on to, you know, reach new heights. So it's really just setting yourself up to be able to weather this short-term period of contraction until the economy recovers again. I think you've used the word in the past, natural, as a way to describe recessions. This is just something that happens, and it's going to go away eventually, but it is good to prepare for it. It's almost like a storm. You know, storms don't last forever, but you got to prepare for the storm, right? Let's talk about what smart moves somebody could make as an investor during a recession. Yeah. One of the things that I keep getting asked too is like, is this going to be a lost decade? That's, I feel like, a term that keeps being bantered about right now. And here's what I will say is that when you look at the stock market performance over a long period of time, it's sort of, I use this phrase a lot in a lot of contexts, but like when in doubt, zoom out, right? So if you look at year-to-date stock market performance, the market basically peaked right at the end of 2021, and we've been in a drawdown for all of 2022. Well, if you zoom out, right, like Go back to 2008 when the market was at its worst and we're up like, I don't know off the top of my head, some insane amount since that, yeah, since that period of time. And so I kind of look at this as creating buying opportunities, right? And remember how I said that the stock market is a leading indicator of the real economy? By the time the NBER comes out and says, oh, we're officially in a recession, and we're now in, you know, the recovery phase, the market is likely already recovering, just like it is going to be down before the real economy is down. It's going to be recovering before the real economy recovers. So what I tell people over and over and over again is invest consistently and for the long term. These ups and downs along the way, the month to month movements, even the year to year movements, they're part of that long run average return expectation that is like 9% a year. So that includes these years that are, you know, down 20 plus percent. It also includes the years that are up 40%. And so, you know, whenever you're thinking about investing, it should be for kind of long term goals so that you can realize those long term averages. And when you see markets like now, like this is when returns are made. And, you know, you may not realize them until the market recovers, but really sophisticated investors, investors who have, you know, really long-term strong performance histories, this is when they make their money by buying in these down markets. So if you have that three to six months set aside, you've got that bare bones budget ready just in case things go wrong and you've been dollar cast averaging. If you've got extra money, this is an opportunity. Is that right? Absolutely. And one thing I would just say is like the three to six months emergency fund, you should not be investing that because that's cash that you want readily accessible. Money that you're investing should be money, you know, that you don't need in the next couple of years that you can allow it to be in the market and be at work. And like I said, realize those long term returns. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Megan, this is an important conversation to have. I think there's a lot of people talking about how great investing is and all the great stuff, especially in really big years where the stock market's up. I think it's important to have voices in conversations like this to let people know that this is a natural progression in the market and this too shall pass and keep your steady, eddy, smart moves when it comes to investing as well as protecting your families with a good emergency fund and a budget. So what's new in the family finance mom world, Megan? Tell us what's going on. Sure. So I also have my own podcast, Finance Explained. Actually, the very first episode of season three was this very question, are we in a recession? And if you want to kind of hear more of like the data-driven points of what says we are, what says we're not, and what I'm looking at and tracking as kind of we continue to move into 2022 and 2023, um, you can check that out. Basically, every week I cover the top three financial headlines of the week and then give a deep dive on some specific personal finance topic. Like last week was all about wills and trusts. So you can catch me there if you guys are podcast fans. The other thing going on in the family finance world is last year I did an investing workshop series. So once a month, they are 30 minute to hour long videos on kind of building your investment knowledge so that you feel more confident making investment decisions for yourself. And this fall and winter, I'm going to be doing an economic workshop series. So you feel more comfortable and confident understanding kind of this onslaught of headlines that we're getting. So, you know, what is a recession? What does it look like? How does it work? What does it mean when people talk about unemployment? Those are some of the topics that we'll be covering in the economic workshop series. And if you follow along with me at Family Finance Mom, you'll be able to sign up when those open up. Excellent. Well, Megan, I appreciate your time today, everybody. I really enjoy Megan's podcast. It's really easy to just type in Finance Explained in your favorite podcast player right now and just hit subscribe, support Megan and all the great work she's doing. And if you want to dive deeper specifically into what we talked about today, she's got, as she said, a great episode that goes even deeper and explains what we're going through right now. Megan, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Andy. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? (laughs) If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. 
Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. And use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. you like to own your home outright? What would it feel like to never make a mortgage payment ever again? On our mortgage-free segment today, we're going to interview Chris Luger from Minnesota. Recently, Chris became mortgage-free in just about three years. Today, we're going to learn how he accomplished this family financial goal so quickly and what he's doing with his money now. Welcome to the show, Chris. Awesome. Thank you, Andy. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Glad to have you, man. I know we met in person a few years ago. I'm glad we could do this online and bring your story to life. So I like to start the show, this segment with the mortgage-free three. These are three quick, short answers that help people understand this mortgage-free path that you went on. So the first question is, what was your starting mortgage principal balance? Yeah, I really was paying down $162,000. Got it. $162,000. Okay. And how long did it take you to pay off? I know I mentioned in the intro around three years, but what was it specifically? Yeah. So around three years, it took me to pay about $45,000 of it. Got it. But then I cheated a little bit because the remainder, I sold my father's home after he had passed and used that for the remainder. Got it. Well, I'm sure dad thought that was probably a good use of money and a good way to honor his legacy. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. So what's your home value today then? $468,000. Wow. Okay. So $468,000. You own $468,000 outright. That's a, that is incredible. That's an incredible amount of money. It is. It's (laughs) great. Every time you kind of think about it. Yeah, it's, it's cool. It, It does. It brings a little smile to your face. It does. You sold the home after your dad's passing. Was this a reason that you wanted to become mortgage free? Did this move you towards that? I guess, why did you want to become mortgage free? We'll start with that. Yeah. So, I mean, growing up really having no debt was always the plan, even growing up with my dad. My dad, he paid off his home as well. And it was, you know, he didn't want to have any debt. I remember in middle school him telling me, hey, I made a double house payment today. I made a triple house payment today. Get tax refund and he would throw it at the debt. And so growing up, he always told me that renting is throwing away money. I don't necessarily agree with that today, but (laughs) I still like the freedom it brings you with not having a mortgage payment. I think that's great. I think that's great. So outside of honoring your dad and then having that freedom, I guess, what were you hoping that a mortgage-free life could bring for you at this point in your life? It really is the freedom. It's the freedom to be able to 
if something catastrophic were to happen, I could still live here, right? I mean, that's really the big thing, right? It it really has allowed me to then do so many other things with without having that huge monthly payment. I mean, I was able to crush my auto loan. I paid off my truck in like a year. And then I was able to just stack an emergency fund in like, I mean, a short period of time, I had six months of living expenses just stacked up, right? But then also, it allowed me to do fun things. Like I went on my very first cruise in 2019 and it was cash flowed, right? It was paid. I, it, I didn't have, it just made it so much more enjoyable, right? I didn't have to come back to a credit card bill. <laughs> That's incredible. So yeah, it just freed up so much extra cash in your life that it allowed you to do not only important things to protect yourself like an emergency, but also allow you to do some more fun things. And I understand you have kids as well. Has Have they been a part of any of these adventures as well? It's funny. They're older now, but you know they used to come in and see, I have a whiteboard in my office, and they used to see how I was tracking and, and paying on the debt. And, and I was explaining to them but, you know, it's really hard to teach delayed gratification to a teenager. <laughs> so they knew what I was doing and they know what I've done, but I don't know if they quite get it yet. Maybe it'll sink in just like it did for you with your dad, where he remembered that very important milestone for him. I understand you went through a divorce during this process. How did that affect the mortgage payoff process? And I guess, did you guys own the home together and, and then you got it? How did that all work? Exactly. And that's really what kickstarted everything. So it all started in 2002. We bought the house for 240. We then paid down to like 162. And then that's when we got divorced. And so we were accelerating the payment even like while we were married for 15 years. And I was doing things like our lender at the time had something called the equity accelerator program. So I could make payments every two weeks. And that equated another payment at the end of the year and it lowered your interest. And, and then we threw again, any extra income, you know, tax refunds and that type of thing. So at that, you know, 2015, I got divorced. The remaining balance on the house that I stayed in was 162. And that's where I kind of was like, Oh, like, let's, let's take care of this. Yeah. It, uh, it wasn't easy at all, all the time, but it, there was definitely some motivation there. Following the divorce, you know, there's lots of emotions, obviously, that go through divorce and, and talking with people who've been divorced or friends of mine. Do you think that your path towards mortgage freedom was something, I guess, that made you feel some sense of pride during a difficult moment in your life as well? I knew I wanted to be, you know, mortgage free, but I was up until that point, if you use like the Dave Ramsey terminology, I was normal. Right. But really what happened was, and again, to make this kind of a, a short story, when my wife left, she had always paid the bills. She always handled every bill, all the money. And up until that point, I had never even balanced a checkbook. Like I never, I never did anything. So I had to learn quickly on how to do everything. Like I, I remember Googling, like, what is a budget? how to budget. I remember I had to quickly refinance the house at the time because now I've had one income. To, to pay the mortgage. And that's when I started, again, I found you, I found Paula Pant, I found, I mean, I found all of the, the OG <laughs> blockers, right? <laughs> um, and then what I did was I started reading all these books and I, then it started like light bulb was clicking like, oh, if you're intentional with your money, this is how you do it. And that's when the game changed. 
So I wouldn't be where I'm at if it wasn't for the divorce. I mean, as, as sad as that sounds, but again, we still, we co-parented well. She's, we get along. It's okay. And I love your perspective on that. Sometimes tough things in the past can make for a brighter future, even though they were tough at the time. You've got a $468,000 home that's paid for. How has mortgage freedom outside of the, the asset that is your home accelerated your net worth growth? How has that helped? Yeah, it also allowed me to, in 2017, again, because now I had, again, some extra cash flow, right? In in 2017, I bought my first rental property. Because again, in my education, I really started to realize, you know, broadly, if you're looking at like investment books, there's always a chapter on real estate. And then I was like, okay, everyone seems to be talking about real estate. Maybe I should look into that. So then I found bigger pockets and I mean, all of the the real estate stuff. And I just consumed so much knowledge. I read so many books, again, starting with Rich Dad, Poor Dad, The Millionaire Mind by Harvecker. And that like, oh, wow. Like it really helped me understand money can be used a different way. And so, yeah, it helped me buy my first rental property in 2017. And now I just closed on my 10th property. That's incredible, man. You have 10 properties. That's great. Is that a big part of your income now? How does that all work? I don't even count it yet. I don't. I just, I'm just, I'm again. So any of the cash flow, you know, it's funny, you know, people say, you know, again, I don't really advertise that. This is the first time people are going to hear that. Oh, I got 10 properties. But yeah. So, you know, some people, if they don't understand money and don't understand the business, they're always like jokingly, Oh, you're a slumlord. And I'm like, no, I provide quality housing to people that need it at a fair rate. You know, I mean, they're well-maintained. I mean, this, I take it seriously. Right. And so any positive cash flow I get from my rental properties, it's immediately going to the debt. Right. And so I'm actually using, if you, again, if you want to coin a Dave Ramseyism, the snowball method, right. For my properties. So I have all of my rental properties lined up the lowest mortgage. I'm just jamming on it. So my first property is almost 100% paid off. And then, you know, now I'll have that much more cash flow to jam on the next one. But again, in determining my net worth, I don't really count my real estate right now. That's going to be gravy on top. I mean, that's like the one really big thing is once I had the mortgage paid off, it allowed me to then do things I had never done before, maxing out my retirement accounts. Like that was something you had never, you know, I remember reading or like hearing somebody on social media being able to max it, you know, oh, I just maxed out my Roth IRA or whatever. And I'm like, how in the world do they do that? How, (laughs) like at the time it was just way out there. Right. But yeah, so now it allows me to basically what I do. So I still, again, right now I still have a W2 job. I really feel as though the term fire. And again, those of you that may know, right? The FIRE movement to reach financial independence and retire early. Mine really is to reach financial independence with the option to retire early. I am not in a hurt. I like my day job. I like my W-2 job, right? But it now it allows me to do things like take advantage of those, you know, tax advantaged, you know, 401k. So I'm maxing out that. I, I max out my 401k, max out my HSA. I also, I'm fortunate enough to be able to do an after-tax 401k contribution. I put in like an extra 30 grand and then convert that to Roth every year. And so basically that's kind of my retirement. My goal is by the end of this year, 
I'll finally hit that million dollar mark. So wow, it's going to be a big that's uh, incredible man. I got to figure out how to celebrate, but that's going to be it's going to be right. Wow. Good gosh. I mean, for somebody who said that you had to Google what is a budget just to just one hundred whatever five, seven years ago to be almost at a million dollars by next year. That is quite the transition. I mean, call it in less than 10 years, right, man? Is that less than 10 years? Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, I started my path really 20. I count it like 2017. That's when I got serious about it. So I did like probably a good year, year and a half of just education, like reading books, podcasts. Again, I started blogging my journey back in 2016. I went to FinCon not knowing anything. <laughs> and I realized, oh my gosh, but God, the connections you make there, it's just such a great community. Oh my gosh. I completely agree. I love FinCon. It's been uh, revolutionary for me. I have the opportunity to host this year, and you and I are going to hang out again like we did last time in 2019. So I, I have a question for you. Somebody's listening right now. Maybe they're into real estate, or they're just getting started, and they're saying, ah, you know, with lower, you know, even the interest rates, they're going a little higher right now. With low interest rates, why would you pay off any mortgage whatsoever when you could, you know, make more money, stack it on top, get some more rentals, more rentals, more rentals? What would you say to that person? Yeah, I will tell them that because I've actually gotten some pretty heated arguments. Though there's a few family members that know what I've done. And yeah, I hear about how that was the stupidest decision I could ever do, you know? But one thing I would tell people is that I know the math doesn't really make sense, right? Because that's the that's the debate, right? I mean, I could put that all that money in the market and earn a better return than my three and a half percent rate on my mortgage. But it it really is psychological. It's so freeing. It changes the way you think. It changes the way you behave. It changes the way you care for your home. It changes. It truly does change the way you get up every morning. And I, it's until you experience it, it's really hard to explain to somebody what that feeling is. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to, to really express that feeling. I think that once you have that freedom to, you know, not only pursue other goals, but also give back, give back more. I mean, one of my favorite things to do now is like, you know, I can be out to eat or whatever. And, you know, I go up to the counter to pay my bill at a diner and I'm just like, give me their bill too. Just pay it. Just pay it. I mean, it's like, what's it cost me? Like 30 bucks? And it's like, I just made their day. They're going to have the best day because when they get up to pay, it's they're oh, no, it's, it's already taken care of. I remember one of the first times I did it at a local restaurant here, they're like, the server was really confused. And then it was like, well, do you want me to tell them? And I'm like, no, just give me their bill. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, that's what the freedom allows you to do is just to give back in just the tiniest way, you know, so. More money and more options and more time freedom just amplifies who you are. So that's just a, a testament of the kind of person you are, Chris, that when you get more in your life, you want to be able to give back. So I am very honored to speak to you today because that's the kind of world that I want to live in, Chris. Thank you very much for, for showing us that example. Somebody's listening and they also want to become mortgage-free and they're just getting started. Maybe they're searching what's a budget online. What's one step that they should take following this interview to become mortgage-free? One of the biggest things for me was because I really wasn't budgeting and I didn't really know exactly how to budget, but what helped me the very first step was tracking your spending. That's the biggest thing because 
I, I started tracking my spending. Again, at first it was literally a notepad and a pencil. Then I went to like a spreadsheet. That was before I even knew that mint was a thing, right? Or, or personal capital. <laughs> it was before I even knew that. I started tracking my spending. And then you start to realize all of the mindless spending you're wasting money on. My biggest thing was eating out. Oh my gosh. You know, every day at lunch, it was like, I, I went, I remember tracking it for like three months and all I saw was like Subway, Subway, Taco Bell, Subway, Wendy's. <laughs> like it was, but it added up to hundreds of dollars. And so once you track your spending and see where you can like truly let's stop that mindless spending, well now pretty soon you have an extra 500 bucks to throw at your mortgage. So the very first step, just tracking your spending is the number one thing. For people who are listening right now and they're thinking, oh man, I'm in my, call it whatever, 40s or, or mid 40s, and I haven't really paid attention to my money at all. <laughs> look, look at Chris's example today, everybody. He is a fantastic example that it's not too late. You got an opportunity when you're in your 30s and 40s, maybe you're making more money. You could just stack a bunch of it towards your goals. So Chris, I understand you're helping people with this in a good way on your blog. Tell people where they can connect with you and learn more about what you've done here. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Andy. So you can reach all of my social and my YouTube channel by going to my blog at heavymetal.money. And I got some great posts on there about strategies on paying off your mortgage to just what it's like navigating finances while going through divorce. Cause that can, there's a lot of anxiety that can happen. And I kind of went through some of that as well. So I encourage people to check it out and I'm pretty active on Twitter. You can find me there again. I, I encourage to, you know, anyone to reach out. I'm happy to engage. Yeah, talk about rocking your finances. Chris is the right guy for you guys, everybody. <laughs> Absolutely. Chris, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. As a quick reminder, this show is for entertainment purposes only, my friends. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. Before we go for the day, I'd like to ask you to do me a quick favor. Please share your favorite marriage, kids, and money episode on social media and tag your friend Andy at Andy Hill MKM on Twitter and Facebook or at Marriage Kids and Money on Instagram. And to encourage you to share your favorite episode, Calvin and I like to give away free Marriage, Kids, and Money merchandise. That's right, baby. Carpe DM t-shirts. MKM mugs, be the change sweaters and hoodies, all sorts of good stuff, right, buddy? Speaking of promoting positive work, I've got my buddy here, and we're going to share some good news, and it's all about this one, Calvin. Listen to this. The story is entitled, Bus Drivers Hailed as Heroes for Saving a Baby After a Car Was Stolen with Him Inside. Does that sound interesting to you, buddy? Yeah. Wow. You know, and to help me read the article and to share the good word, of course, I've got Calvin Hill here. What's up, my man, Calvin Hill? Uh, hi. Hi. <laughs> so is it pretty wild? Everybody, you can probably hear that we're recording in a different place right now. It sounds a little maybe uh, boxy. That's because we're in the car. I just took Calvin out of school because I'm a crazy dad. Yeah. What do you think about leaving school? Good. You like just yeah, taking a little I like break? It. I you like do? It. What subject were you in when I took you out? Reading. Reading, yeah. It was literally so boring. <laughs> it was for for like two hours straight. Oh my. Two hours straight of reading? Was it a boring story? Yeah. What were you I reading? Mean, it, I was reading I Survived. It was like the only book I had left. Okay. And it was no good. 
it was pretty good, but I, I was kind of bored. So you were ready. You were like, and so tell me what happened when, when they t- called your name. I was like really happy. happy. So what did they say? They said, Calvin, come to the office. Yeah. What did you think at first? I thought I was like in big trouble for no reason or something. Because <laughs> you had to go to the office? Yeah. <laughs> but then you were there. The daddy was there. And, huh? I, and I remembered I had to... Do the thing. Do the good word with yeah. Dad? Well, let's do the good word, all right? Let's do this. A two-year-old boy has been reunited with his parents after a suspected carjacking in Michigan thanks to the teamwork of two school bus drivers. Dave Skinner, a driver from Kellogg'sville Public Schools in the Grand Rapids area, was on the job last Tuesday when two parents flagged down his school in the Kentwood, Michigan. They screamed at me that somebody had stolen their car with their baby in it, Skinner recounted to Grand Rapids ABC. He said he quickly called 911 afterward and also alerted fellow drivers via radio. Fellow bus driver Sue Figueroa was paying attention. She had noticed a young child along the side of the road and quickly turned her bus around. I just saw a little baby around the corner standing with a blanket on. Figueroa said in surveillance video from her school bus. Figueroa was able to bring the boy who had been left on the side of the road by the carjacker and wrapped in the blanket into her school bus. Wow. Figaro's actions were caught on camera in the bus surveillance video. So this is her bringing the baby into the bus. Minutes later, the toddler and his parents were reunited after Figueroa drove the boy to where his parents were anxiously waiting. In a statement to ABC News, Kellogg'sville Public School Superintendent James Alston said, Sue Figueroa, David Skinner, and Kristen Nicholson all did a great job getting this two-year-old back with his parents. Sue and David were the drivers involved, and Kristen is the director of transportation and helped coordinate their efforts. Officers with the Kentwood Police Department are still searching for the suspected carjacker but have located the stolen car. The police are asking the general public for help in the search for the thief. Wow, so somebody stole a car in Michigan, Mm -hmm. and there was a baby in the back of it. And then after they realized there was a baby in the back of it, they just put the baby on the side of the road. What? Isn't that horrible? And so the baby was all alone all by itself, and then these two bus drivers found them, they put them in the bus, and they brought it, brought it to its mommy. So these bus drivers, they're heroes, don't you think? Yeah. Isn't that incredible what they did? Yeah. Wouldn't you be so sad if you got stolen in a car and then left on the side of the road? How would that make you feel? So sad. So sad and so scared, right? And so these bus drivers knew this baby was so sad and so scared, and the mommy was so scared, too, that they helped them. Isn't that incredible? These people are heroes, aren't they? Yeah. 
Do you think you could do that? Do you think if you saw a two-year-old boy sitting on the side of the driveway when you were walking home from school one day, do you think you would help him? Yeah. Yeah. What would you What would you do? How would you help him? I'd bring him into the school and like talk to the teachers. Teachers, about it. yeah. Bringing it to an adult that can help you. Yeah. That's a great idea, man. Absolutely. Why do you think it's important to help people who are in need? Because they might be really little and they like don't know what to do. That's true, man. Yeah, some people are very young and they're very they need help and and older boys like you could probably help, right? Well, that's cool, man. Well, thanks for reading the good word with me. I'm going to give you $3 for participating and sharing good news that's out there. This was a sad situation, of course, but it turned out to be a good news story because the parents got their baby back. And um, hopefully they catch this thief who stole the car, right? Yeah. Jeez, you can't do that, right? Yeah, that's illegal. It sure is illegal. For like... 20 million years. Yeah, they should go to jail for 20 million years. Yeah. I agree. Until they're dead. Until they're dead, yes. They probably and, would and be they in jail for a long time. And they shouldn't give them any food. Oh, yeah. That's a little harsh. Uh, <laughs> anyway, let's do the let's do the shout-out of the month. Calvin, last uh, month we received three social shout-outs. So can you ask... This is actually... What is this? Siri on my computer. Can you ask Siri to pick a number between one and three? Siri, pick a number between one and three. That would be three. All right. Well, the third social shout-out that we got was from OTW2FI. I like that. It sounds like a Star Wars character. So could you uh, read this, buddy, here? He shared an episode that featured Jordan Grummet, a.k.a. Doc G, where we were discussing how to live without regrets. So if you could read this right here, that'd be great. This episode hits an is a great reminder for me to find that balance when it comes to this FI journey. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, OTW2. Oh, I think I get it. On the way to FI. There we go. <laughs> so there we go. On the way to FI. Thank you very much for the shout out. I'm going to be DMing you on Instagram because you gave us a shout out on Instagram. And I'll offer you a piece of merchandise for the Marriage Kids and Money store. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, you name it. It is yours. People are very fans of the uh, hoodie because it's, uh, you know, it's getting a little colder right now. So you can put a hoodie on and you can... Uh, you know, support the show, and uh, Calvin and I will keep doing this fun thing every week. Wait, I thought it was um, every month. Every month, you're right. What did I say? Every week? Yeah. You're right. It's every every month, everybody. So if you want to share your favorite Marriage, Kids, and Money episode on social media and tag us at Marriage, Kids, and Money on Instagram or at Andy Hill MKM on Twitter or Facebook, you'll have a chance to have Calvin pick your name and he's gonna you know maybe give you some free merchandise and we'll share the good word it's a good it's a good tradition Calvin i'll give you a million dollars oh wow on that's under your bed <laughs> if you subscribe like and comment down <laughs> below is that is that something mr beast did <laughs> oh, i don't have a million dollars and i don't think you do to give away <laughs> but i like your idea everybody Thank you very much, no, Calvin. No, 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 no. Um, you don't want to. I'll, I'll, I'll go to Jeff Bezos' house, yeah. and he'll give me a billion dollars to give you. Okay, I like that. <laughs> if you like, subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> These are promises we can't keep, everybody. Uh, I'm glad Calvin is a friends with Jeff Bezos. We'll see how that goes. <laughs>
In the spirit of growth and inspiration, my son Calvin's going to end the show with a quote today from Jim Rohn. One person caring about another represents life's greatest value. Everybody, take care of each other, especially as we get into this season of recession. We might need some friends and family to look after each other. Carpe diem!